The eyes to the right, 310. The nose to the left, 310. <laughs> You the eyes to the right, three hundred and ten. The nose to the left, three hundred and ten. Order in accordance with precedent, and on the principle that important decisions should not be taken except by a majority. I cast my vote with the nose. In midst of perpetual gridlock, Brexit continues to loom forward without a clear decision. As English citizens await their future, another unlikely group also find themselves in the same predicament. Football. Today, sports and politics find themselves inseparably tied to the same fate, Brexit. What will happen to the 70% of international players if Brexit goes into effect? Will the league continue to hold the competitive strength of its storied past? We have Guardian journalist from London, England, Daniel Levitt, weighing in on possible outcomes for the most dominant football league in the world. Also joining us, we have EIG's very own Salman Chima and Justin Parsons. All right, so today for Immigration Nerds, we talk sports, and we have a star-studded cast, Salman Chima, Global Attorney for Erickson Immigration Group, uh, Justin Parsons, Managing Director, and a special guest, Daniel Levitt, all the way from the UK, who's a sports uh, journalist for Guardian. Thank you for coming on. My pleasure. Thank you so much for having me on. And I appreciate that introduction. I've never been, been called star-studded, so uh, it's nice to know that I'm being appreciated. <laughs> yes, well. yes. Well-deserving. Well-deserving. <laughs> uh, so so uh, before we get into uh, Premier League, I'm going to hand it off to Salman just to know where we are with Brexit as it stands today. Sure. Thanks, Ian. And, and Daniel, you can jump in and correct me because my information may be wrong in just the last 20 or 30 minutes, the way things are going. <laughs> uh, but it looks like we're headed for a vote tomorrow to see if we're going to possibly continue making a deal. And if we have a deal, then it looks like the UK and the EU have agreed to extend the date of Brexit out to May sometime. But if we don't have a deal, it's going to be April 12th. Um, and at that point, if you are an EU national in the UK, you're going to be sort of treated as a, as a third country national with no no kind of special status other than some of the schemes that have been put into place. You know, there's a transition scheme that's probably, you know, going to go out to 2020. But as of right now, we really don't have any clarity on what's going to happen. We know that Prime Minister Theresa May offered last night to resign if her deal gets voted through, but it looks like even that's going to get rejected. So um, I don't know, Daniel, do you have some kind of insight, some inside information that we don't have? Uh, inside, I'm not sure, but uh, no, you, you, you outlined it pretty well. I think the, the main thing to consider is that, you know, as you said, this could all change by tomorrow uh, after the vote. The, the big news from yesterday was that 
Theresa May did indeed uh, offer us a, a little bit more of a timeline of when she intends to depart. The news that she intends to stand down was not new. She illustrated that a few months ago uh, without giving um, you know, a specific timeline. She just said before the next, she won't stand for another general election. So the fact that now we've got a more of a specific timeline gives us more insight. It's up for grabs of whether this, this third meaningful vote will actually pass because some hardline Brexiteers, Jacob Rees-Mogg is kind of the face of the far right group of the Conservative Party. He's actually come out today in the last couple of hours and said he's going to vote for the deal, which is pretty, pretty big. Um, another uh, hardline Brexiteer, Marc Francois, who actually chairs the European Research Group, that's the group of the hardline Brexiteers. He's maintained that he will not vote for it. So um, the next 24 hours are going to be exciting. I would love to tell you what's going to happen. I think if, if anyone told you what they knew what's going to happen, they're lying. Uh, so we're definitely in for yet another dramatic chapter to this whole soap opera. This dramatic chapter. So if this actually does go through, there is ties with the Premier League. This is a, a, a global situation, really. What's the different options that will, that will play out in terms of the Premier League? Again, the main thing to point out is Brexit may, may or may not happen. Uh, and if it does happen, we again don't know. Uh, right now, the, the Football Association, which is the governing body of English football, they've come out in the uh, last year that they kind of want to use Brexit as an excuse to promote English footballers and ultimately the English national team. Um, they seem to think that more English players at the, uh, the highest level, the Premier League of English football, they seem to think that that will automatically constitute with winning the World Cup, uh, which in theory, that, that, that's not the daftest of ideas. However, um, there's a litany of evidence to suggest otherwise, which is where the actual Premier League comes in. So although the Premier League uh, falls under the jurisdiction of the, the FA, uh, it is its own entity and it's kind of the, the cash cow of English football. And so the Premier League have kind of cited that there is no hard and fast evidence for ultimately limiting the number of international players in the league. And they've, they've kind of come out and said, we need evidence. And until then, we're going we're gonna to say no to your proposals. Um, so that's kind of where we're at right now. Um, so it's still a lot to yet to be determined. But either way, I think the FA wants to push through with its ultimate goal of promoting English players. So that's funny to me, Daniel, because, you know, you look at it, England just had their greatest success in, in the World mm. Cup in a generation at a time when the Premier League is over 40% international, non-England, non-Ireland players. Uh, mm. You know, on what basis do they think that watering down the competition is going to increase their competitive ability? Well, like you said, we had our best World Cup performance um, since 1996, uh, 1966, sorry, when we actually won the World Cup. And our best performance since in, an, in a major tournament full stop since we made the semis of the European Championships in 96. That's kind of a big spanner in the works for them. However, we know uh, by watching the World Cup that England had a very favorable draw in uh, their, their side of the bracket. Uh, we ultimately lost to kind of the first good team <laughs> that we played, big Croatia. That only increases the Premier League's leverage. So what they base 
their evidence on the Premier League is uh, largely detailed in a book called Soconomics, which was written uh, in 2009. And it basically is a book on why the, why the English football team does so poorly at World Cups. And they point to factors such as the sheer number of games that English teams play. So, you know, the Premier League, they have 38 games, each team. Then they have the, the FA Cup, which is a knockout. They join in at the, the third round, or the second and third round, depending on where they finished, where you finished in the league the previous year. So that will tack on, you know, anywhere between, uh, if, if you win the FA Cup, that's another five games. Uh, then you've got the League Cup, which uh, again is another knockout tournament. And traditionally, it's kind of been a, uh, a an excuse for the big teams to play their younger players and reserve players. But with the the, the sheer competitiveness now of the, uh, the Premier League at the top, you know, you've got Liverpool, you've got City, you've got United, Spurs, Chelsea and Arsenal. Silverware, trophies, cups, uh, few and far between. So the League Cup is kind of a really competitive cup again. Um, and, you know, again, that's going to tack on another five or six games. Um, then if you're at the top, you've got the Champions League or the or the uh, Europa League. And as we know, if if, uh, if you go deep into the knockout rounds, the quarterfinals, semifinals, that's another 10, 10, 12, 13 games. So you're looking at about 60 to 70 games in, in a season, which, you know, for your American listeners, that might seem, well, you know, the, uh, the NBA plays 82, NHL 82 and you know, the NBA, I, I personally feel that there's too many games and a lot of the players do feel the same. Um, it's a lot of effort and running around for one soccer game. Um, so to potentially play two a, two a week, that's a significant factor. So by the time the Premier League season finishes in May, some players have got a, a month off before they're uh, playing the World Cup. And that's not really a month off, it's monthly, a month of training. So, th- so other leagues have a, what's known as a winter break. So they have like a, a month around January or February time to kind of just give players a chance to recoup. And that's been that's been sort of floating around in the Premier League uh, for a long time. That could be a whole book in itself, and that's just one reason. Uh, the other main reason they point to is if you have 90% of the Premier League, for example, if it was English players, hypothetically speaking, there's a whole world out there. So it, balancing that, the quality of players with good English players and good international players can only be good for English footballers because at the end of the day, you can only pick 20 to 25 players to go play at a World Cup. Right. So. We, we understand FA's position. that They want a stronger national team. For the Premier League itself, what's their position on the matter? That, that's a great question. And I think that's the main sticking point because, as I said, the two entities, are, they are technically separate. The Premier League is the, the the richest soccer league in the world. I think this year it pulled in roughly $3.5 billion in TV revenue worldwide. And so in comparison, La Liga, which is the top league in Spain, uh, that's the second richest soccer league in the world. That that drew in $1.6 billion. So it's it's more than double, you know, the second best. So again, it's a, it's a pretty simple theory. Uh less good players in, in your league will inevitably mean down the line, TV companies will want to spend less. It all comes down to economics. And the Premier League in no way wants to damage its brand because it's it's worked hard over the last 30 years to be the most popular soccer brand in the world. So I think that that's the main sticking point for the Premier League. Their argument is, well, why, if there's no evidence, why would we uh, you know agree to these changes? And what would happen? So maybe this is a question for 
Daniel and Salman is, so what happens if Brexit goes through? What does the visa situation look like? Mm. And then, so maybe Salman can answer that. And then maybe Daniel can talk about a little, what the Premier League landscape looks like if these visas start getting, becoming more difficult. I guess the FA would like it. It may be less lucrative for the Premier League. So yeah. maybe, maybe you guys can talk a little bit about that. Absolutely. So, you know, the way we have it right now, there's a there's a settlement scheme that's going to be in place for European nationals uh, between now and 2020. So as long as they arrive in that time frame, there's sort of a, an, an opportunity for them to to work and live in the UK. After that, they're going to be treated most likely as anybody else. The big issue, though, is that in, to get a work permit to play soccer I and mean, to play football in England there's really a point system, right, Daniel? It's like if you don't qualify based on how many National League games you played, it really depends mm-hmm. on um, you know, your wages, your transfer fee. And I read somewhere that there's 332 players that would not have qualified for the EPL if the Brexit had been in place already. Is that correct? Oh, wow. Yeah, I haven't uh, come across that figure, but it, you know, that if it's if it's, it's the case, that's pretty alarming. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I mean, there's there's basically two main ways for right now players outside the EU to gain a, a permit ultimately. So it's as as you said, it's it's based on uh, the first way is based on percentage of uh, the players' national teams games they've played in the last two years. So the and the higher the ranking of the uh, the team in the world, the lower the percentage the player needs. So if if you take France, if that you know. For example, they're in the top 10. I think it's something like the player needs to have played 30% right. of the games. Whereas if you take a, a random team uh, that's, say, you know, 164th in the world, they'll probably need to play around three quarters <laughs> yeah. of the, the team's games. Right. It's funny because I, I read that uh, if you if you look at the Leicester team that won uh, the league a few years back, Riyad Mahrez and N'Golo Kante would not have qualified under yeah. anything but as EU nationals because their their transfer fees were very low and their wages were very low at that time. So they're not winning the league without those two guys. <laughs> yeah, well, and it, and it's amazing when you when you put it like that that you know it gives so much context of just what we're talking about, you know, and it's it's what it, without that colorful context which you you know you illustrate, it's it's just words and numbers on a piece of paper it's going to have real consequences and yeah albeit it's we're talking about sports so how serious can it be but in terms of altering the landscape it's really got uh the potential to be an earthquake ultimately no daniel you know i I, at some point we have to talk about is are there any positives at all that you think brexit may have and and one of the ones that i've heard is that Maybe with some freedom from FIFA or UEFA, you can actually investigate a team like Man City a little bit further into their finances. Do you think that's something that mm. that the EPL or the FA would have a little bit more autonomy over now? Um, I'm I'm not one hundred percent sure in that. I think FIFA um are powerful enough that if they wanted to do something, they would go ahead and do it. Obviously, FIFA have a bit of a cloudy past to put it nicely <laughs> to say the in least terms of, yeah in terms of investigations uh i think they probably need to look at themselves before they look outward you know uh, seriously speaking i think they are powerful enough and big enough you know they are the world governing body i think if they wanted to and if there was anything 
uh, going on. I don't know if there is or not. I, I think they would have the uh, the power to do so. So I'm, I'm not sure that uh, the UK leaving the EU would kind of mean, oh, wow, FIFA can all, all of a sudden do all this stuff. Um, but alluding to your first question, positives of Brexit. I, I honestly preface this, I, I voted Remain. I try and keep my political affiliations objective and secret. I'm being a journalist, but, you know, something like this, you just cannot see positives full stop. You know, it's uh, maybe in 50 years when uh, we'll look back at this and kind of think, what the hell did we go through? Maybe there will be uh, positives in a new world and landscape. But I honestly, I sincerely struggle to think of positives for for leaving the EU. Yeah, you know, the one of the things that, that we've talked about is that, you, at least as an immigration attorneys, you know, we talked about if there's any positive for Brexit, it's that maybe you're giving more of a level playing field to non-EEA nationals who are otherwise, they'd be very qualified candidates, but for the fact that it's mm. an immigration cost associated here. Do you think that there's an argument to be made that it could help level the playing field between some of the richer clubs and some of the clubs below the top six in terms of their, their ability to, to bring in players? Um, I think I think so. I think so. Um, I'm not sure what will happen in the short term because, as as my piece outlined, what we found was that actually some of the the smaller clubs, uh, as as much as the bigger clubs, kind of had an excess of uh, of EU players. Um, and so you know you've got at the top you've got Tottenham Hotspur, which I think will need to, from our analysis, at least four players. And, you know, the data is, what, a couple months old already. So it's probably increased since then uh, that they'll have to sell that, you know, above the the proposed quota, uh, the proposed new quota of the FAs proposing. Uh, but then you've got clubs like Huddersfield, which it may not even matter because right. they're probably going to get relegated. But <laughs> point being, it's, um, you know, it's going to affect clubs up and down. Now, in terms of going forward, I think, yeah, I think it will... Um, I think it will level the playing field slightly. Um, I'm, I'm not sure how much, but you know, there's the argument that there's there's just so much money in in the Premier League now that kind of the gulf of ten years ago when Manchester United would spend thirty million on whoever they wanted. I think any player, any team, sorry, can can do that now. Uh, I was reading something uh, earlier today, actually, which it was said that the the Championship, which is uh, the second tier of English football is actually richer than almost every other European, major European league, barring, you know, the top five being Germany, Italy, France and Spain. So I think just the nature of how much money is in the Premier League, I don't know how much of a bigger uh, an effect it would have had, say, compared to, say, you know, 10, 10 years ago, you know? Yeah. So I guess, you know, aside from the FA, what other leagues move to gain the most from this if if immigration becomes more difficult for the UK and mm -hmm. impacts the Premier League like what other what other leagues do you think right. benefits yeah. the most I think I think immediately it'll be the the other top 5 leagues which I just mentioned so La Liga in Spain Ligue 1 in France the Bundesliga Germany Serie A Italy they're the the main leagues in Europe so a lot of players if this does go ahead and everything uh, you know the FA gets what it wants I think the likes of Bayern Munich and Barcelona and Juventus and PSG are going to have a field day. 
This doesn't mean to say that they're going to get Paul Pogba for 10 million euros or pounds, but there is so much talent in the Premier League, you know, non-UK talent, that I think the the likes of, you know, players such as N'Golo Kante, for example, he may have to go. A number of players will inevitably have to be sold. You know, and this leads on to kind of transfer fees that that's the other big knock-on effect. If you're Chelsea or Tottenham and you have to sell minimum five players and the other vultures around Europe know that, they're they're not going to come in at market value. Uh, they're going to come in at half price and kind of, you know, play chicken almost. So, uh, yeah, I think I think it's ultimately going to be the, the major leagues around Europe that are going to benefit most, you know. Right. So, um, yeah, that's that's very interesting because the next Riyadh or the next Conte who comes up, mm. you know, uh, the Premier League might not be its first destination. Um, obviously, if they're from Italy, they have ties mm. to Serie A. But in, in general, is that the the main destination for a lot of these players? Mm. Well, I think this is anecdotal, obviously. But sure. uh, I think you're right in saying the Premier League, uh, because of its tradition, because of the all the newfound money that's in the league, uh, I think it is ultimately the number one destination um a few years ago when the the new tv rights deal came down i think it was stoke city who were no longer in the premier league but they signed they managed to sign a a player away from borussia dortmund who i think had finished in the top two of the bundesliga that year they managed to sign him away to come and play in the premier league Uh, so he he basically gave up champions league football and the chance to win the bundesliga for stoke who as we now know, ultimately got relegated. And he, he simply quoted, why would I get paid, you know, £30,000, for example, when I can get paid £70,000 a week, right. you know? So I think from that perspective, um, generally speaking, those two factors, the tradition and the sheer amount of money, uh, it, it is number one. It's similar to basketball in Europe. You know, basketball in Europe is a religion, right. but uh, the overwhelming of a number of players you ask any of them they they want to make it to the nba uh because it's it's the league not only for the money but if you've made it in the nba you know where else can you you make it you know you know daniel the, the homegrown player rule i think a lot of people have a misconception that that means english yeah. that that's not necessarily true you know that could be a foreign born player as long as he's with the club before a certain age and for a certain number of years do you think that the FA is going to make a concerted move towards making that actually mean English players? Yeah, no, that's a great point because that's, that's uh, as you said, that's something that only a couple of outlets that I found when, I, when writing this article actually uh, stated. A homegrown player automatically meant English. So the current uh, non-homegrown rule is that a player has to have at least three years FA registration before they turn 21. So that obviously allows players like Paul Pogba and Cesc Fabregas to be not, uh, to be homegrown players. So the FA wants to lower that age to 18. So that is going to, without explicitly saying we want less international players, it's kind of we, we're, we want less international players. So it's kind of, you know, without saying the FA actually want that, it's, it's a smart move by them. Uh, it You know, it, it will require international players to move to England when they're 15, which is incredibly rare. So yeah, I definitely think the FA uh, with these proposals is moving in that direction. It'll be interesting to see how long before they 
if this goes through before they kind of want to lower even more or maybe eradicate it. So I, I personally think we're heading in that direction where, you know, English players only. Uh, <laughs> and it just depends how long, I guess, uh, the FA waits to get their legislation through, you know? Right. As we're as we're wrapping up, uh, has there been any interviews with top players and their thoughts on the potential of Brexit? Have they given any statements? Players, not that I'm aware of. They try to stay um, apolitical. Think, I'm I'm sure most of the time. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think yeah, I think it, we've learned in this day and age that any odd comment is blown up. So these all these players, and no matter what sport you're in, they're so well trained to deal with the media. However, the the actual managers is a different story. Um, Jurgen Klopp mentioned a, a few months ago that he thought Brexit was a load of crap. It's a big mistake. Whereas, uh, you know, he, and he's from uh, Germany and British manager Neil Warnock <laughs> basically said, you know, the UK needs to get <laughs> on with Brexit. Uh, so In more colorful language know, it's, it's, than that, right? Yeah, I wanted to keep it uh, <laughs> PG, but uh, Daniel. Yeah, I think. It, yeah, you yeah. know the. I think that there's another aspect that we haven't touched on here is that the number of UK players in the EU who are going to get affected as well. I mean, it goes both ways. Do you have any comment on that? Yeah. So I was I was looking up on this. Um, what the, uh, Theresa May's actual deal uh, or proposed deal that will be voted on again tomorrow actually entails for as you said EU to citizens living in the UK and vice versa UK citizens in the deal that so right now EU uh, citizens in the UK will their their all their rights will be maintained there's been talk for however long we've been dealing with this process two odd years that uh, those rights will be in place for a year or three years or no rights at all but I think that was a major sticking point. So right now it's indefinitely, and I and I believe that it's the same for uh, she's managed to work out the same for you know the UK, the British players effectively in the EU. Um, I think that all depends on what what actually goes through. In my opinion, it's going to be down to retaliation. Uh, if if suddenly the UK said actually we couldn't get it through, then I, I do think it will have. Uh, negative effects uh, for uh, UK citizens in the EU. So for the likes of Jadon Sancho, British-born, he's currently playing in Germany for Borussia Dortmund. I can't imagine that he's going to go anywhere. Like He'll be forced because he's a great player. But I do think going forward that there'll be a lot less players, UK players, and playing in Europe because there's a, there's a tide of young English players, which I haven't quite worked out why, but there's a tide of young English players moving to Europe and leaving top clubs. So right as it stands right now, I think everything will remain status quo. But like we've said, it could all change. Just in terms of a, I guess, maybe a final question or two. If you had a crystal ball, so say, you know, the UK goes through with, with Brexit, what does the Premier League look like in 10 or 15 years? Maybe it looks the same. Is there more parity because maybe some of the clubs are devalued? Like what is... Because right now, you know, it's it's a race of, well, six teams and then it's a race for, for the right. middle and then a race to the bottom. What does it look like in 15 years? Maybe, maybe the same. What, what's what's your thought on that? Well, look, I think for this, I'm going to uh, take the, the role of a uh, Mystic Meg and I will suggest or predict that 
it's going to look a lot like the same in terms of the standings. I think, you know, Manchester United have been a big club for the last 30, 40 years uh, before the Premier League. Um, and I think they're going to remain to do so. I think the same can be said for the top six in general. You look at the sheer number, uh, sheer amount of revenue worldwide they're generating. I think they basically got a massive, massive head start uh, compared to the likes of um, Brighton or my team, Watford. Uh, so I think largely the standings will pretty much look the same for the most part of the top six. Now, obviously, if it does go ahead, we will probably see a lot more English players. Really don't know what will happen to the quality of the Premier League based on uh, the evidence, the book, Soconomics, uh I think English football will suffer. I, I really do think that. I think um, the other major leagues in Europe will catch up slightly because, you know, we're at the end of the day, we're all fans and we want to see our favourite players. So if a bunch of top international players are playing outside of the UK, uh, eyeballs will go with them. So I think I think the, the foundation of the Premier League is pretty much set in stone. Obviously, you've got... It's, it's open to... Uh, you know, change. You, you look at Man City, they've got billion, billion, billion dollar owners and they can change that, you know, that can change any club in an instant, but uh, sort of providing that uh, no new billionaire owners take over a division two team and take them to the Premier League. I think, I, th- I do think it will stay largely the top six or the top five. And, and, and unfortunately that's kind of just the, I don't think we're going to see a Leicester too often and I'll probably be eating my hat next season when Leicester happened, 2.0 happens. But if you look at the uh, number of Premier League winners since the Premier League started, you've got Leicester and Blackburn who won it in 1995. Apart from that, it really is you've Manchester United, Chelsea, Manchester City uh, or Arsenal uh, and Liverpool and Spurs kind of thrown in there challenging. So Daniel, I definitely appreciate the the knowledge the two guys sitting next to me here they're way more knowledgeable in FIFA so I had to <laughs> let them take take the reins and, and and you so definitely provided much much of the information and I appreciate your your time for being on yeah no and it's my absolute pleasure um anytime I can talk sports and kind of the bigger meaning <laughs> uh I you know I, I love it I do love it and uh American sports is uh kind of my passion especially the NBA as well so I'm I'm, uh, I'm a oh, dark, right on I'm, man diehard Toronto Raptors fan. So I kind of enjoying uh, the demise of the Lakers and LeBron James after all the pain he's put me through. (laughs) Before we let you go, we got to ask you who you think is going to win the league. Do you think City will take it or do you think Liverpool has a chance to catch up here and win their first EPL ever? (laughs) Yeah, I I would love to say Liverpool. Uh, My family is from a, a small town just outside of Liverpool, Southport. So I'm rooting for them, however, we're we're actually um, we've been doing some analysis uh, on kind of why Liverpool have fallen, mm. and it's just purely because of the sheer amount of minutes yeah. uh, Mo Salah, Roberto Firmino, right. and Saudi Omani have played. Um, so, you know that 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 trio is the only trio of attacking options Liverpool have mm-hmm. got, whereas City have got you know they've got about six or seven world class players so it's just <laughs> on the bench <laughs> not even starting well that's yeah. it and it's not right. so I, I think it's cities now unfortunately i think the cushion that liverpool had heading out of um the christmas slate of fixtures uh i thought that would have been enough but 
it's kind of evaporated within two or three games. So I think it's cities, unfortunately, to Liverpool fans. <laughs> Sounds good. Well, Daniel, thank you for your time. And we'll definitely keep our eyes on the news as the story unfolds for, for Brexit. I appreciate yeah. you. Thank you. No, my pleasure. Thanks again. For more content and immigration updates, please visit our website at eiglaw.com. And make sure to follow us on Twitter at EIG underscore law and our Instagram underscore EIG law to join in the conversation. Thanks for listening. See you next time.